So as a chaplain in a county jail, we'll meet with different guys in the upper and lower tiers for Bible studies. I'm doing a Bible study. It's not going well. It's really distracted group. And I keep saying, hey guys, hey guys, check this out. Trying to point back to this verse in John 5 or something. And that guy right next to me, he spins on me. He's like half white, half Chicano guy, a few tattoos on his face. And he points his finger right in my face and he says, no bro, how about you check this out? And he then countered by offering me and everyone else something much better, his own story. So, I mean, he monologued about the streets, about being a slave to the needle, about misery. He told us about betrayal. And I started to recognize the story. I'd seen this in the front page of the newspaper. I started taking notes. It all started with a robbery. That was his specialty, burglarizing houses. When the cops found him, it was a high-speed chase, then a helicopter, multiple squad cars. The chase went through neighborhoods and through the farm roads of our valley. So even though this started with a burglary, it turned into an evasion. The squad cars wouldn't give up on him. And that's what he really stressed to me. He told me he could hardly contain his delight, the thrill of so many people laboring to keep him in their sights. He had become Washington State's most wanted. Richard told me he wasn't wanted as a kid. His 15-year-old mother, as soon as she had given birth, slipped out of the hospital and she left him there. Richard swung the stolen sedan into tall fields of corn. Richard crawled out of the cornfield and ran up to the front door of a small house on a country road. He knocked and rang the doorbell. A frail, elderly woman, she opened the door, and she saw this strung-out guy she's never met before. Will you help me? They're after me, he says. She went to call the police to help him, but she didn't understand the full situation. He freaked out. He went to stop her, and this startled her. She tripped over the coffee table, and she cracked her hip. He helped her up onto the couch, and he left. When they finally found him on top of a storage container behind Walmart, they tasered him. In the following weeks, when Richard was there in the jail with us, the 83-year-old woman's hip was not mending quickly. After about three months, I believe, she contracted some form of pneumonia, and soon she died. With this woman's pulse going flat, Richard's bail jumped to $1 million. New charges from the prosecutor transformed Richard overnight from just a strung-out addict. Now, he was a murderer in the first degree. This guy was an old lady killer. I kept visiting with Richard one-on-one. He was there for three months, four months, five months. It kept going, and I enjoyed visiting with him. I didn't have any friends that would speak with such insight and such tenderness. Richard said, You want to know why I was so good at robbing houses? I did. He said, I just pretend it was my house. Oh, the shady thieves sneak around, keep their heads low, move around back, you know? But me... I just pretend I'm coming home, middle of the day. I walk right up the front steps, and I open the door. If it's locked, I go to the next. No one notices. That's why I like doing this so much. Not just for the stuff, really. Because honestly, my favorite part is just sitting down in the living room, looking around, and telling myself, all this is mine. This is my home. See, I never had growing up. I mean, nothing. I never had a home. Sure, I'd crash in all sorts of places, but not a home, you know? A lot of times, I wouldn't steal anything, only sit in the living room, just to pretend. He paused, like listening to what he just said, and he says, does this make any sense or what? Although Richard was looking me straight in the eye as he told me this, I was often looking down, writing this down. I didn't want to lose his words. I was afraid of returning his gaze, I think. I would have felt even more than what I was already feeling inside, which is that I love this guy. 
I was coming here to visit him under the auspices of being a chaplain, but I wanted to be this guy's friend. So time passed. A year went by, two years, of Richard being in our Bible studies, me visiting one-on-one with him like this. And then finally, his trial came. His sentencing day. He finally stood, his wrists handcuffed in front of him, speaking to the woman's family. He says, I know you guys hate me already. I hate myself for the things I've done. I know I'm a monster. Those words were printed right underneath his face in the front paper. After he got to say his piece, the judge in his robe flipped a pretty rigid thumb through Richard's entire legal record. He said that it amounted to, quote, a commercial for how not to live your life. Within the week, he was on a bus to prison. Richard and I exchanged two letters. He just asked me about how my girlfriend and I were doing. Our roles were curiously reversed as he said this. I remember when you would ask me something, and you always wrote down what I said like it meant something to you. For me, it showed that you loved me. And that is why I love you as a bro, homie, because you showed me love. By the way, in your letters, why don't you ever say love Chris? What's laters? Well, love me. I missed him, so I went online to try to find a picture I could find. I read in the comment section down below his picture. One person from my community wrote, No one's safe until we get rid of these criminals, and the faster the better. He should hang for this, if you ask me, or at least rot in prison. Well, that is a pretty cliche line, I hope you rot in prison. That's exactly what happened to Richard. Within his only first few months there in prison, he started to deteriorate. He felt pain in his stomach at first. Soon he couldn't sit down, he couldn't swallow. He was burning inside. Nine or ten of concerned inmates in that sector started writing misspelled handwritten letters to a few of us pastors on the outside trying to report what was going on. How the nurses would come by and tell him again, there was nothing more to be done. The problem will take care of itself over the weekend. And it did. Richard was dead by Saturday night. He had gangrene in his intestines and throughout his system. At age 26, Richard literally rotted to death in prison from the inside out. Weeks later, I went to the funeral home. I came in the back and I was late and I tried to find a seat amongst the crowd of people that I largely recognized from my years being a chaplain at county jail. There were a lot of gang members with shaved head, the girlfriends and the homegirls with their hair pulled back and kids behind their legs. So I sat down and I saw that up front, right next to the open casket where Richard lay, there was a priest and a deaconess the Catholic Church had charitably sent. So what happened for the next hour is they repeated the rosary into the microphone. I looked around waiting for there to be a time where they would invite people to come up and share stories about Richard. But his life was being silenced by this, this litany. And I'm a person of faith, I'm a pastor, but just hearing the rosary drone over and over, I was getting really restless and I got really angry. So right before I heard the priest say, we're about to do one more final blessing, I stood up. I just went right up to the priest and I whispered and I said, I'm Richard's pastor and I'm going to speak now. And I turned around and stood at the podium and I faced a room of people that looked numb. I leaned in the microphone and the first thing I said was, Richard would have hated this. And hanging heads, they suddenly stirred. I said, I think he would have interrupted all this because when I first met Richard, I was trying to lead a Bible study in the Skagit County Jail and he interrupted me. I told the story about how he cut me off and how he said, no, bro, how about you check this out? And the whole quiet memorial room exhaled in laughter. That was the Richard they remembered and loved. I said I was used to working with men in the jail on the streets who won't open up much about their stories. 
but it's not just inmates. Most of us yearn to be fully known and loved, yet we hide and wait for someone to knock. Richard was different. Richard was desperate for someone to accept what he had. His thoughts, his voice, his life, his self, as if he were saying, will you let me in? Thanks so much, Chris, for sharing your story with Snap. That piece was produced by Stephanie Fu. You are listening to Snap Judgment. And to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.